It's America. If you signed it in a contract, then uh, contract law is the highest form of law, as we all know. That's very true. That's true. <laughs> That's why it's protected in our contract of right. stop shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl the playoffs are here and we're down a man because only two can enter the <laughs> can enter the uh thunderdome uh myself and fitz are here unfortunately harry's been called away on some post-christmas business so let's the pair of us get down to business so hey as i said connor here and we've got ronan how are you getting on better than you uh you're a little bit sick at the moment uh, i hear I- I'm a little bit dosed, yes, as you can probably hear on the on the sound system. So, hence, uh, we are both on internet connections rather than any of us recording live in person for fear of uh, of infection. Uh, but no, it's good. How was your Christmas? It was good. Like I, I, I always have the weirdest Christmas because like I'm at home. I don't really know anyone from home anymore. So over Christmas, because there's like a couple of uncles who just give money to all the family, I end up making money and not drinking at all. So the only thing I do is <laughs> eat chocolate. And consume media, basically TV shows, articles, catching up, and all that. So I only have like ten tabs at the moment, which, if you know me, is like oh, that's basically remarkable. nothing at the moment. So Fitz, uh, Fitz lives with like forty tabs open on his Chrome at all times. It's very. He also he went through a period where, if I remember correctly, like your Facebook page used to just be periodically. He's like Fitz has posted a link. Fitz has posted a link, and he just post up like thirty or forty links to the page. I say like, what's going on? He goes, oh, there are all stuff I want to read, but uh, I've got too many tabs open. My computer won't work anymore, so I'm just saving them here for later. Uh, yeah, that's 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 what uh, that's what Notepad is used for, Fitz. Yeah, well, I learned eventually, right? So, <laughs> and all you're doing is giving Facebook more information about your uh, your tastes and interests. And that's why my Facebook's pretty boring, and I get mostly <laughs> economist economist articles rather than actual social interaction. Excellent. So I suppose that we must say we're now moving into the playoff section of the year. So we will probably kick off with a bit of this. So playoffs. A seeding has been announced in the AFC. We have uh, Kansas City at number one, New England at number two. New England sneaking in there, getting their getting their first round by as kind of to be expected at this point. And uh, number three is Houston, and number four is Baltimore. With the wild cards being the Chargers in five and Indianapolis in the sixth seed. The NFC has New Orleans in the number one seed with the LA Rams locking up the other. By week, Chicago and Dallas are the three and four, with Seattle and Philadelphia taking the five and six. And Arizona Cardinals lock up the number one overall pick in next year's draft, unless they trade it to someone else. Teams that went down to the last minute, so eliminated on their week 17 games. Pittsburgh after the Baltimore win, and Minnesota after losing to Chicago, and Tennessee after losing to Indianapolis. So there was a couple of very exciting, very playoff-relevant games happening. And then there were some playoff-relevant games that weren't really games. So we'll be discussing <laughs> some of those and, and, and not all. All of them. But of course, while this means positive stuff for those 12 teams, there are 20 other teams who it now means Black Monday is occurring. They are now free from having to play sport for the next time, next while. So it's time to start unloading all that unwanted uh, uh, excess baggage in the forms yeah. of coaches think, and coordinators. I think you mean New Horizons Monday, Connor. New Horizons. <laughs> See, this thing, I don't know if that's real or if that was just a joke on that I, other podcast. I think it's a joke. <laughs> it didn't want to be because Black, Black, Black Monday, it's Interestingly, there there have been a number of people pointing out that it was essentially, uh, in more than one way, it was Black Monday because it was a huge amount of the African-American coaches who got fired during this period. But we'll fly through a few of these and... uh kind of pick up on which ones you think are interesting so Tampa Bay head coach Dirk Cotter was fired Tampa Bay are expected to retain quarterback James Winston with his fifth year option to be fair we knew this one was coming a mile off we've been asking since about week four onwards whether this was going to happen right 
yeah, he's in the category of those who we expected to get fired last season, who managed to survive. I think like the Jameis Winston situation is probably the most interesting part of who or who may not want to take that job um, and whether the team will indicate during interviews, like, does this guy want a new quarterback or is he willing to work with like Jameis Winston and try and improve him? I think like Dirk Cutter, he's been a dead man walking. Uh, I think you have Jameis Winston, it's not the worst situation to come into, so it'll be interesting to see who ends up there, but I would say it's like kind of middle of the pack in terms of... Uh, the desirability of this particular job. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, the New York Jets head coach Todd Bowles was fired. Uh, again, this is one we kind of expected. There was a chance, there was moments, especially at the tail end of last season and a little bit in the middle of this season where you thought they might uh, hold on to him and they've decided to retain GM Mike McCagnan. That's obviously kind of more of a vote and confidence in their selection of the young quarterback and how their draft has gone of late because I think they re-signed Robbie Anderson and a few players like that, so they're quite happy with how McCagnan is going. But I reckon Bowles would be an interesting candidate on, on the market now because he's kind of there's a couple of teams my, my own team included who'd be looking for defensive minded coaches who maybe didn't do that well in their first head coaching gig yeah like I think he'll definitely show up somewhere like obviously his defenses in Arizona were known be, for being pretty good and very uh, blitz happy kind of aggressive and stuff like that I just think it's one of those situations he's averaged about 10 losses a season uh, it's it was actually surprising he got this far but his reputation had come in and he tended to like finish stronger in the end of the season but he hasn't really won relevant games when they mattered and mm. at some point any relevant organization is going to do that some organizations take a bit longer as the next organization may prove <laughs> Cincinnati have finally decided to move head coach Marvin Lewis has been fired apparently this wasn't just a firing this was a let him make the decision kind of situation yeah so, well like yeah sure <laughs> yeah it, but um, to be honest I wouldn't put it past the, the Bengals just be like hey just tell us when you want you know you can stay here for as long as you want because he, he's the longest tenured head coach well not anymore but uh Finally, finally, Marvin Lewis is gone, uh, and they have decided, in very interesting and very Bengals fashion, to apparently the favorite at the moment is to have Hugh Jackson take over. But uh, tomorrow morning, now we're recording this on the Monday. Tomorrow morning, Vance Joseph is interviewing for the job. The Cincinnati organization with Paul Brown is a bit of a mess. Like Marvin Lewis, he did a good job of rebuilding one of the joke franchises in the league and apparently is it was involved in basically overhauling the entire organization by eventually accruing enough influence within what is known to be a dysfunctional kind of like hierarchy there. Uh, but I think it's just one of those cases where he built a really good team. They couldn't get over the hump. They lost, you know, obviously famously never won a playoff game despite getting there multiple years in a row. And I think it's just the case that the last few years, the whole thing's fallen off. They have been unlucky with injury. But I think he's kind of like the bad organization, Bill Belichick. He did a really good job of making something good of a bad organization. But at the end, a bad organization will overcome anyone. And I don't think Marvin Lewis had the requisite skill or ability to kind of elevate them to the next level of getting the confetti at the Super Bowl. And oh, I think eventually you have to win playoff games. You expect to stay relevant, even in the Cincinnati Bengals. Marvin Lewis, I'm sure he'll get picked up somewhere. It's just a case of whether yeah. he's willing to demote himself. Yeah, I was going to say, again, again, someone who might be, would be very popular in a defensive coordinator position, but maybe not so much I, as a head coach. I, I just on the Hugh Jackson thing, the rumours are that the owner, Paul Brown, really wants to hire Hugh Jackson, but is afraid of the media backlash. Yeah. And well, he <laughs> deserves it. Like, just, like, I know the media, they're untrustworthy, fake news, but in this case that they actually know well they don't it doesn't take a genius to figure out that a guy who wins one game in two seasons isn't very good at his job yes no of course uh, Arizona head coach Steve Wilkes has been fired again one that we've been expecting for a long time Cl like criminal misuse of the 
of the assets that they have in that organization and huge question marks of the development of the young quarterback they have. And I think they're probably just going to go into the market and search for a coach that will build around Josh Rosen. Yeah, one and done. But I think in a situation where you draft your rookie quarterback and you have the worst offense in the league, I just think it's a situation where the organization and I think Steve Kime in particular will be given one chance to find a new Bruce Arians who can take Josh Rosen and David Johnson and make something of them and hopefully draft some decent offensive line help to make yeah. that a reality. But like, like it's one and done. That's always kind of a bit annoying. It doesn't look good for the organization. But I think in this case things were just so bad that I can see where they're coming from. Yeah, and it was kind of it was kind of like a it was a late enough decision as well as to what kind of approach they're having to the year because they weren't sure whether Carson Palmer was coming back. They weren't sure sure whether Larry Fitz was coming back. Like there was just lots of balls up in the air. So it was always there was a there was a chance of that being a one and done. Denver have finally decided to part ways with Vance Joseph. This comes after obviously there was a lot of rumors last year they were going to part ways with him. He has not had particularly strong success for that organization. Uh, their defenses look good under him, but their offense has really struggled. But you could point to the GM potentially and the fact that they have had a string of quarterbacks who have not been able to, to put it together since Peyton Manning. But overall, this is this is a parting of ways that we were calling. We were expecting from about week five. Yeah, like Denver, I think this is the first time that they had two losing seasons in a row. They're obviously an organization with a lot of pride. And obviously John Elway is someone who is unafraid to make changes if necessary. There is a lot of talk in the background about power struggles happening within that organization after the death of Pat Bolin and yeah. the various family members getting into fights. And Vance Joseph might have been one of the pawns in that greater like organization type of stuff. I think one thing, I think the popular choice that they want to do is probably bring Gary Boo Kubiak back from the front office and put him back in. It's just a case of whether his wife and whether he is willing to risk obviously the health condition, which got him out in the first place. That would be probably what they want. If they don't do that, then it'll be interesting to see where they go. Various names, including Shanahan, the, the older Shanahan, I should say, have been associated with the job. But this is probably like... This is the one where I have the highest chance that they may make a mistake outside of Cincinnati. They just feel like a dysfunctional organization right now with Elway and that family situation. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, speaking of dysfunctional situations, Miami <laughs> have fired their head coach, Adam Gase. Again, we weren't expecting him to really get much more leverage. They've had just, like we said, they're a team without an identity. They've just been floating around in mediocrity for a while. They had some nice swings this year and they actually were, were playoff relevant till late in the season but I think that was more a reflection of the sixth seed in the AFC uh, rather than anything else to be honest so no no Miami miracle for him this year yeah I think it's a situation where his biggest problem he's actually I think his, his scheming and the coaching part has well not the, the the like the actual football intelligence all that kind of stuff and his relationship with the quarterback is all right but his the general feel is that he's been a bit tetchy he doesn't create a good feel around the organization and well, the most surprising thing is that there's he's getting a lot of phone calls apparently already for other jobs. He sees that the guy who might fall on his feet, uh, not bring up the racism thing again that you kind of alluded to earlier, but it's a kind of a situation where he still seems to be highly touted, but I think he's someone who needs to go into a functional organization where they can kind of you know put the pieces around him to ensure that his perhaps not best media face isn't uh, isn't a, a distraction as much. But I, I think in Miami, there's a, they're already talking about getting rid of multiple big names, Robert Quinn, Devontae Parker, etc. So they're into full rebuild mode, and we'll see how that affects their prospects in terms of getting a new coach. Because obviously we're talking about eight openings here, so uh, it'll be pretty competitive yeah. for the best names. 
No, of course. Uh, interim Green Bay head coach Joe Philbin failed to meet the quarterly sales target, so he's been let go. They're hoping to bring in someone else to work in systems. Yeah, to be honest, like Joe Philbin was awful, and we never expected him to stay on, so there's not really a huge amount to say about that one. Yeah, that's expected, and uh, I think no one would really support it if he was kept. No, and interim Cleveland head coach Greg Williams, uh, a.k.a. that dickhead that everyone knows from the television, he will be interviewed for the head coach job, but it's not official for now. There's other candidates being interviewed as well. Do you think he's done enough to get kept on? I think he's in with a strong shot, and as I said, the competitiveness of the field is there. But I think, ironically, Cleveland is actually one of the most sought-after jobs after Baker Mayfield obviously puts together an amazing rookie season, breaking the TD record for a rookie quarterback, with after missing three games it's just a situation where you imagine that everyone will be lining up for that we're going to talk about that in the game review but cleveland right now they have a load of young talent under under cheap contracts i think it'll be a highly coveted job i think greg williams and freddie kitchens as the oc have earned a certainly a good look so i think unless someone comes in and there isn't really that many great names available right now i wouldn't be surprised to see them get it but it might be case that they feel they have to change they don't want to like try and ride the lightning any further and obviously greg williams with his history uh, of, of of questionable practices is perhaps not the best name to have as the face of your franchise so they may consider that as well no of course a couple of other spots have kind of cleared house on maybe not the head coach but other positions atlanta have finally fired oc steve sarkeesian who has not really done it. he got it together a little bit this year but like you know it's still not really performing to the level they were two years ago uh defensive coordinator manuel and special teams coordinator uh armstrong have all been gone so they're really clearing house of the internal staff and detroit have fired jim bob cooter their offensive coordinator so no more cooter in the league well well I think, in detroit say yeah like i think jim bob cooter will probably get a job somewhere i think atlanta's interesting because obviously i think this it deems that the pressure on the head coach there is going to be really high i think dan quinn may be in a you know prove it year and if he doesn't get it done this year to the same extent this happened he could be out after last season you know the 28 like i know getting to a super bowl is a, is a great achievement but when you lose the super bowl from 28-3 it perhaps doesn't have the same cachet as you might have hoped it might, i i wouldn't be surprised if you see a lot of Seattle alumni being lined up. I think they're already talking about Daryl Bevel for OC. Uh, expect to see a lot of those old Seattle names associated with the openings there. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Oakland have decided to hire Mike Mayock to be their new GM because, of course, peak Oakland. Apparently observed Oakland and John Gruden last offseason, uh, according to some of the reports coming out. So this is, like, Oakland is a mess at the moment. They are hiring, like, television analysts to be their GMs because they're not even going to pretend to have someone who's going to, like, you know, have a disagreement with uh, with, with, with Gruden at all. They don't know where they're playing their games next year at the moment. Uh, like, yeah. just everything is a mess. Marshawn Lynch is, is just getting high off their, uh, <laughs> off, the, off their flame. Uh, yeah, the Al Davis Memorial flame. Yeah, no, this <laughs> is... Mike Mayock has no GM experience, supporting it or he isn't someone. So with the exception of like John Lynch, which I also thought was highly questionable, this feels like one of the most weird, ridiculous situations to go. But I think as we've always guessed, it was always going to be someone brought in as a yes man. Mike Mayock will basically be head scout uh, and John Gruden will have pretty much mostly personnel control. And Mike Mayock, I don't know how good a scout he is because the thing I remember most is that on uh, draft day coverage, 
he'd be the one pretending to predict picks because he's just been told what the pick is like before yeah. it gets announced. So well, this is the thing I've I've heard it mentioned that like it appears that rather than putting together you know a staff, John Gruden's putting together a broadcast team, yeah. and I can kind of see it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, this is just Oakland. Get your get your yeah. life together. And uh, there's the, there's a whole problem now that they have to find somewhere new to play. Rumors around them actually playing in London is one of the more out there rumors. But I think that has to be sorted within the next month. So some. Some big, like, ad hoc deal is going to have to be done by Oakland or the Raiders in the next 30 days, and I have no idea how that's going to work out. Yeah, that'll be fun. Let's see where they end up. I hope it's somewhere really awful. Just for <laughs> And the other bit of news that's swirling at the moment, there's rumours about Antonio Brown wanting to get away from the Steelers. There's reports and then conflicting reports about whether he's requested a trade. At the moment, we believe he hasn't, but the fact that this is a story that will be... A, Believable is is big enough in itself. Uh, essentially, his relationship with both uh, Coach Tomlin and with uh, Ben Roethlisberger is apparently severely deteriorated. He got into a he was he left a practice during the week last week after throwing a football at Ben and getting into an argument with him. He left, didn't come back, and then he didn't play in a win and in game for them in week seventeen. And apparently, this was not because he was banned by the organization. He just turned up refused to play and left at halftime. So this is, like, the Pittsburgh are the Kardashians of the NFL. What the actual fuck? Like, last year it was Le'Veon, this year it's going to be Antonio. Well, Le'Veon came into the season as well, to be fair. But, uh, like, yeah, I think it's a, it's a situation that we'll probably hear a lot about over the next few weeks. It's kind of hard to know exactly where it is right now. But I think one thing that we do know is that, yeah, the Pittsburgh Steelers... They're gonna have a fairly light, heated off season, I imagine, because uh, the Levy and Bell situation obviously isn't fully resolved yet. And then you yeah. have this. I think it's just like I, I think Antonio. And then and of course, unsurprisingly, when a Pittsburgh Steeler player turns against the organization, all the rumors and stuff, all the slurry is spread out onto the media, and that is not unprecedented either. So we'll see how this goes for Antonio Brown and the Steelers going forward in the next months probably uh, for the rest of the offseason to be honest yeah 100 and the other thing is while he is still an excellent player he's 30 years old he's got a lot of guaranteed money in his contract that will have to be paid by the Steelers like we'll discuss this in the offseason as this develops but it's a very difficult spot to find a trade unless they can find a trade partner who will give them a receiver of a kind of a usable value back to them and they basically just trade paying each other's contracts so i don't know uh we'll have a look at a couple of the injuries so there's a couple of playoff relevant ones we'll fly through uh demarius thomas wide receiver for houston has torn his achilles he's gone for the season and Kevon webster their cornerback has injured his thigh so he's gone that is a big hit to houston because it just means that they've only really got the one option on on offense right yeah dondra hopkins his importance comes even more thankfully it's probably the one receiver that you can throw into double, triple coverage and he can manage to catch it regardless. Uh, yeah. Some ridiculous statistic about him, like over 100 catches, no 100, 115 catches, zero drops. Like, he, he had no drops on catchable balls this year. Yeah, he's he's good at catching those balls. <laughs> he is very good. Uh, LA Chargers, Javoris Brown, the linebacker, has done his ankle, he's gone for the season, but Hunter Henry is activated for the wildcard weekend. Uh, we don't know whether he'll be playing or not. I think they have like a 20-day window or something. Yeah, I think I think he's expected to be able to play, but uh, we'll see if he's up to speed by that point. Uh, I think he's been someone who has been really aggressive. I want to get back in the field, so mm-hmm. if he's allowed to play, he will play. 
Yeah, of course, Seattle safety, uh, Delano Hill has done a safety scan for a season. That's, a, that's another hit to got a, it's got an injured backfield at the moment. New Orleans offensive tackle, Tron Armstead, has a pectoral injury and hoping to be back. And their other tackle, Andres Pete, has injured his hand. And we're unsure about what the severity of that injury is. Uh, those are problems for New Orleans as they have a older, less mobile quarterback. Yeah, uh, I think it's it's a case that, uh, that like Anders Pete was like the backup left tackle, so they're a little bit light there. We'll see how they sort that out. And Delano Hill, yeah, the safeties like but like he wasn't the starting safety, but both the safeties have injury, both their starting safeties have had injury problems, and not just the two who are not the like well they have two starters who were injured, now they have two other people. Uh, yeah. And Delano Hill was playing a lot of snaps in the last few weeks, and now he's mm. gone, so their depth there is incredibly thin yeah. now. And Dallas DT, Tyrone Crawford has injured his neck, but may be available for the playoffs. And Chicago, in the opposite direction, Jake Long has returned from IR for them. Yeah, there's a few other ones. Denver's running back is injured. Mariota has an injury, and so does Frank Gore, but these are non-playoff relevant. So Connor, Philip Lindsay's going to miss the Pro Bowl. That is incredibly important. Oh, I know, I know. But we'll cover that in our Pro Bowl coverage, you know? <laughs> Uh, we have we have a couple of questions about the Pro Bowl later on, and we also will have our like four hour Pro Bowl special where we cover off everything in absolute minute detail. Over the controversy corner, Jacksonville have done something interesting. They've decided that they're going to look to void the contracts of Leonard Fournette due to the suspension he got for fighting. Apparently, this is a clause he has in his contract, uh, which means that they'd be able to void his contract and he'd be a free agent, I believe, at that point. So, like, they want to avoid the guarantees so that they can probably cut him then without introducing any cap hits for themselves. Oh, he's, oh yeah, but that's, like, yeah, that's, that's what I was trying to say, that basically they want to void his guarantees so that they can release him kind of thing. Yeah. So they want to they want to use this incident essentially as a reason to release him without having to pay him any money. And uh, this comes after Coughlin had called out Leonard Fournette and TJ Yeldon for looking disinterested and wearing weird clothes. I yeah, he wore, he wore the team jacket and apparently you're not supposed to do that if you're on the sideline or something. Uh, it's Tom Coughlin, so it's probably like some... like Old man yells at cloud type thing. <laughs> yeah, like it was a rule back in the 50s and therefore we've kept it for the last 70 years, uh, yeah. Tom Coughlin. Yeah, yeah, we expect the Fournette and the NFLPA to resist this strongly over the next few weeks. Oh, 100%. Yeah, like this... this... Like, one, it's ridiculous that he had an agent that allowed this clause to be put in there in the first place. But, B, like, this is the thing that they, the union is just going to fight anyway. Also, realistically, Fournette, like, while he is on a f- first-rounder rookie deal, he's still on a rookie deal, right? So it can't be a huge amount of money that he's guaranteed. Because he's a top, like, he was, like, a top-five pick at running back, he actually is around the market value for running back. So oh, okay, it's enough. one of the few cases where, the like, the, the, the rookie thing isn't as important. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. That's interesting. But yeah, like to be honest, I'd expect that even though he hasn't had the best of seasons, he'd probably have a decent enough market there uh, if he was to if he was to get out. But yeah, I can't see that actually happening. I can't see the players' association just allowing them to be able to do to treat a player like that. You know, crime <laughs> section. New England wide receiver Josh Gordon has now got an indefinite suspension for the substance abuse policy. Uh, he released a statement just beforehand to say he's stepping away from football to look after his mental health. But this is the end of him as an NFL player. Yeah, I imagine so. Uh, obviously, Harry is probably the one who has most invested in Josh Gordon's career, particularly in New England. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see a way back from. But maybe we'll hear, uh, we'll probably hear more about his rehab and stuff in the off season, and maybe he gets another shot. But uh, yeah, it's very hard to see the road back from here. Yeah, no, of course, very sad. Hopefully, he gets himself sorted out and back in good mental condition. Trades, extensions, etc. The LA Rams uh, signed. This is the only one that really I think has made an impact so far. The LA Rams have signed running back CJ Anderson, who then proceeded to have two excellent games for them. 
and uh, looked very productive with Gurley uh, missing time due to an injury, a uh, bit of a niggling one, that they I think they were hoping to just work out so that they could use him a bit more in the playoffs instead. It, it's a surprisingly good signing. Yeah, like I, I was high on C.J. Anderson before the season that the Panthers didn't work out there because they decided to feed Christian McCaffrey every single ball in the universe. But yeah, I think like I thought he should have been signed ages ago. And I think he's lucky he's found his way onto a team with a bye. Like KC were the other team that that could have happened at. But yeah, think... he, he, he'd been in with us and we had him. He was our next go-to uh, if, if uh, any of our guys went down. So I think the best case, he showcased himself in week 16, 17. Maybe he gets to spell Gurley a bit in the playoffs and someone will actually sign him before the start of next season and, and actually want to play him. That would be nice for him, I suppose. Yeah, uh, one or two that we just think would be a bit of fun. Uh, D- oh, DJ Swearing out of safety was cut by Washington and he didn't clear waivers. Arizona picked him up. Smart move, I think. Good quality player at a low-cost contract. Oakland... Clearly heard our advice, but misheard the name of the player and have decided to sign Nathan Peterman for some reason. Yeah, he's on uh, one of those futures contracts now, I believe, uh, for kind of practice squad level players. So Yeah, that's very John true. Gruden, he, he's found his future franchise quarterback, of course. Playing four-dimensional chess, uh, who's trying to play it with a golf club. Kansas City extend uh, running back Damian Williams. He's got a two-year contract. The max is $8 million. We haven't got the details. I'd imagine that the base is quite... Yeah. Lowish on that anyway. And the New York Jets, have, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, they've extended wide receiver Quincy Inunua four years, maximum 36 million. It's a thin wide receiver crop coming into free agency, so it's good to lock down at least one of these. And let's be honest, like the New York Jets every year just seem to be floundering about and grabbing one or two old receivers. Like At least for the last four or five years, that's always yeah. seemed to be the way. Uh, like I think like Quincy Inunua, Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Curse, it's not the most exciting set of wide receivers. But it's, but an it's adequate... a functional one. Yeah, if you could draft a superstar to go with them, that would probably complete it. But they're functional enough to kind of hopefully get them to the 8-8 eight and eight level that they probably hope to get to with Sam Darnold to continue to develop. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Other bits from around the league. San Francisco tight end George Kittle breaks the most yards for a tight end of the season. The bastard, because he takes it from Kelsey, who had just beaten Gronk earlier on. <laughs> uh, but still, it's been a good year for those two tight ends. George Kittle, obviously very good, but also in an offense where he is essentially fed the ball 90% of the time. One of, one of, one of the plus sides to playing with kind of less experienced quarterbacks is they tend to use tight ends as safety blankets. But he also has like some crazy yard after the catch ones he uh, his highlight reel is phenomenal to watch yeah we don't really expect like 50 plus yard plays <laughs> from tight ends but george kittle managed to have like i think five or, or more yeah, of them just a ton of them it was great including like a four it was i think it was a 40 40 plus reception to actually take the record from kelsey like he only needed eight yards and he went for like 40 yard touchdown so or yeah. like a 30 yard touchdown so george kittle you've earned it and i'm glad i named one of my fancy teams after you um, very good very good so Baker Mayfield's also broken the most touchdowns for a rookie with 27, despite missing three games, which is quite impressive. Yeah, he's just really good. We're going to talk about that in the reviews, so we don't need to talk yeah. about it anymore, but he's good. And Nick Foles tied the most receptions without an incompletion at 25, I believe, during yeah. uh, their win on the weekend, which was yeah, interesting. Yeah. Not the way that Nick Foles normally plays. Nick Foles, Philip Rivers, Ryan Tannehill, not the people I'd expect to get that record, but no, here we are. not at all. <laughs> Uh, tight end Benjamin Watson has decided to retire after the season, so there's a lot of pressure on the Saints now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it for Ben. 
oh, well, New England, he was there for a while as well. You know, he, he has a, the other option there. And uh, defense tackle Kyle Williams for the Buffalo Bills retires after, I believe, 13 seasons with the team. Catches a pass in the final game. When asked about it in the interview afterwards, he uh, he said, oh, I've been practicing for that one for 13 years. He's just waiting for my number to get called. So it was great. Uh, we've got a question about the Pro Bowl roster, so we will discuss them later on. But the Pro Bowl rosters were announced as well this week. Yeah, just other bits and pieces from learning. There's not a huge amount. Washington didn't have a halftime show because you know, no one wanted to show up to their game. <laughs> because there were terrible. more Eagles fans than actual Zunkers fans at that game. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, LA Chargers tried to sign a uh, Tyrone to their homes to their practice squad. Uh, it turns out it was blocked because he was a draftee for the AAF. Uh, mm. The AAF then released him, so he's now a free agent. So he's now just not signed by anyone. I think they <laughs> may have signed him to like the practice squad or something. But like this, yeah. I, I just like this because there's a bit of NFL, AAF rivalry, fucking with their tiny opponents and maybe a preview of what we see in the XFL. Uh, yeah. next year 100% and uh, Nick Chubb finishes the season this is just heartbreaking Nick Chubb finishes the season with 996 yards because his final play went for negative 5 yards wow <laughs> should have taken some tips from Tom Brady I don't know like yeah, just just <laughs> kneel down aggressively. I think Harry must have inserted the reference to Dave Hampton, who famously uh, missed out on getting a thousand yards two seasons in a row uh, <laughs> due to this kind of shenanigans. Uh, so thanks for that input, Harry. You mean fab? We will move on to have a quick look at some of the games from next week because it's really all about the playoffs. <laughs> Okay, so first up, Ring of Honor is Cleveland at Baltimore, uh, 24-26. Baltimore's defense eventually gets the job done, but Cleveland looked like an actual team in this, like, genuinely quite impressive in parts. This run game Baltimore have been getting going is very impressive, but it's very, very one-dimensional. They now have, I think, like, 150 more yards of rushing per game than they did without Jackson on the field, but they also have about 150 less yards of passing than they did when he wasn't on the field. So it's all balancing out to a certain extent. Their defense is looking very strong and riding into shape for this playoffs. And we'll see, I suppose, when we get to our picks, uh, how we think that's going to run. But yeah, so really for this one, I think it's more about what you take away from Cleveland. Like I thought Baker Mayfield looked very good. He threw three interceptions, but it was a very tough defense. He threw three touchdowns and kept them in the game. Yeah, like this is a situation where I think the only way to beat Baltimore right now is to make big plays because they're just so good around the line of scrimmage at preventing yards after the catch. You have to throw over them. And in the second half in particular, Baker Mayfield showed the swagger, for lack of a better term, to basically fling it out there. And he is accurate enough, smart enough, and the play calling from Freddie Kitchens was good enough that they made a lot. I think like the one that kind of comes to mind is where he may or may not have deliberately hopped the ball in his own hands yeah, to I throw saw that. the defense. That was incredible. And I just like make it look like a shuffle pass. Like obviously you have Nick Chubb, who's like one of the most efficient rushers in the league. Uh, obviously he missed games as well, thanks to Hugh Jackson, and I didn't get a thousand yards because of that. But uh, like, and he's really efficient. But Mayfield right now, he just looks like a guy that if you can put him in an offense where he's in control and where you just be- like put the belief in him that he's needed, then he's just someone who's got that. Uh, for lack of a better term, aura. Like it, it's also a kind of situation where you get to feel like it could go all horribly wrong because it's Cleveland, because that cockiness surely must be punished by the football gods. But oh, right yeah. now, like the stretch that they of games that they've had over the back half of the season, the way he's played, the increased confidence he's had. He got that fine. La- he got like last week for um uh, a suggestive 
celebration on the sideline. <laughs> uh, but I think, you know, at Cleveland, you're a team which for so long has suffered so much. You look at Mayfield, you look at a, a guy who's got the swagger, he's got the personality, he talks about getting wanting to be a legend in that in that in that town. And I think you couldn't be any happier. And on the defense you got Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Jabril Peppers, a young core of stars, and I think there's definitely room for improvement there in the defense. But I think on the offense and the defense, there's no reason why a good coaching staff couldn't come in here and turn this into a contender straight away in 2019. Yeah, like, like we were saying early on, like there's no there's no doubt that this is the most attractive prospect because they've got the picks, they've got the cap space, they've got all the young players you want there. Like yeah. it, it's all there for the taking if someone can mould it. Uh, Baltimore obviously did a very Baltimore type of game. 170 yards passing, a ton on the ground with 90 coming from the from the quarterback himself. Like. We saw that this is a beatable team, as they have been beaten, uh, I suppose. But like, they are a team that are matching up very well against the other teams in the AFC. And we'll get into it in a bit. But like, do you think that at this point, people will be able to look at this second half that the Browns put together as a bit of a blueprint on how to deal with the 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 the, the, the Ravens attack, or do you think that this is still a kind of team that's going to cause issues for your, you know, say your 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 chargers or your or your new england patriots or whatever yeah i think they like i think that the problem with like the 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 good thing about baltimore and the bad thing is that they play close games in every game there's not a game that you can see them getting blown out but i don't think there's that many games where you expect them to get out of like this is probably one of the games where like they really should have gone ahead and it was really a fumble from lamar jackson on the one yard line that probably should have been called for a touchdown because cleveland clearly recovered yeah well that's the thing like it should have been it should have been it should have been a 14 point swing in cleveland's favor so, like, they got a bit lucky on that, but they also got a bit lucky because they fumbled on the one-yard line. But I think for Baltimore, we'll talk about this in, in the in the previews for the playoffs, but I think they're just a team right now. They found what their identity is on the offense. It's run the ball, and on the defense, it's good coverage, but also aggressiveness when the game is on the line. The one thing you notice in this is that in the, in the last drive for Cleveland, Martindale, the defensive coordinator, called four zero blitzes oh, in a yeah. row to close out the game, and it worked. And I think that's just like this, like what this team right now has, which it hasn't had the last couple of seasons, is a clear identity of who they are. And I think that's a great credit to John Harbaugh. And because of that, I think every team in the AFC is afraid of them, and they're desperately hoping that either the Chargers or whoever they face in the divisional round takes care of them. Because I don't think anyone wants to play them. I don't think a team that's ever going to like blow a team out at the same time so you'll always have a bit of a chance uh to come back uh but i wouldn't want to be facing them in the comeback situation as cleveland yeah. earned no of course uh in the neutral zone this week we have dallas at the new york giants that was 36 35 fairly pointless game to be honest dallas had locked <laughs> up giants had nothing to play for apart from a worse draft position two main questions i'm gonna come i'll ask you the them, them in order dallas allowed all their starters except for Zeke in to play this game with no seeding imp- implications. Was it smart? Do you think it's smart to keep the momentum going by keeping your players on the pitch? Or do you think that was absolutely fucking stupid by Jason Garrett to risk them all getting injured in a pointless game? I think it was pretty stupid in my opinion. Like I think they rested their left tackle, but he's actually been injured a bit. So that was, uh, but like, yeah, I don't, there was no reason for them to play it, play him. And I think like Dak Prescott, maybe you're thinking Dak Prescott, he's a young quarterback. He's had an up and down season. You want him to go out on a high. And of course he did win the game on a fourth and 15 conversion. So that is something that'll boost you up. But I kind of feel this is kind of like preempted from previous criticism of Gareth that they've rested their starters in week 17 and then been blown out in the wildcard weekend. And him just going, well, that didn't work previously. So I'll do this. 
in the sense that I think we, we no one really rates Jason Garrett as being an elite coach. He just seems like a guy who's like, I will react to things. I don't want to be too criticized in the media. And I just think it was a situation where they wanted to kind of show up here. I suppose the fact they were a divisional, like they were a divisional opponent, made a slight difference. If they were playing like the Tennessee Titans, they mightn't have done this. But even then, like, this was incredibly risky and they got lucky to kind of come away from here. But I suppose now that they've won the game and got momentum, we'll see if that matters for anything in the playoffs. I don't think it really does, to be honest. But uh, well done, you, for beating these pointless Giants. Yeah, no, of course. And Eli had a pretty decent, very middle-of-the-road kind of performance. I think 300 yards, two touchdowns and interception. Kind of a, a an El Clasico, if you will, for possibly the last game that he can have. Don't do it, Giants. Don't sign him. Is this going to be time for them to move on, or like, because you can you can you can, see, you can see the argument having watched them play for the last years that he's probably not good enough to be the starter there anymore. But like, who is the answer? We're going to talk about it in the questions. We got a question from one of the listeners about this, but like, there's not that many options in the draft. There's maybe a couple of ones coming free in free agency. What level of like potentially available player are you thinking they'd be able to replace with that they like, need to be able to lock in? Like, I, like, I think, like, Eli is just so physically limited right now. And his entire game when he's at his peak was based on a kind of risk approach where he would throw deep balls, he would do stuff like that now. Mm-hmm. But for the last, like, really three or four seasons, he's been relying... He's only looked okay because he has such, like, yards after the catch monsters on his team. He's had Odell Beckham. He had Saquon Barkley this season. Uh, like, even going back to Victor Cruz nearly, you're talking about players who could take a, a short catch and turn it into magic. But for multiple seasons, he hasn't been able to do what he did when he won those Super Bowls, which would be able to throw those deep balls accurately. He just doesn't have it anymore. If you want someone who only real skill right now is being smart enough to throw like a slightly accurate like 10-yard ball or 5-yard ball, you can get like Terod Taylor because at least he can run as well. Like I just don't see the point of Elon Manning. He's just not a physically capable enough quarterback to take a championship level team anywhere and I think when you have those offensive things if you're going to keep Odell Beckham which is a question right now you have Saquon Barkley I would rather get someone either like in the draft or just get someone who is a safe pair of hands who doesn't make the stupid or decisions that Eli is just too prone to right now Eli's just I think he's just trying to play his old game sometimes and then he gets blown out and then he just reverts into his really conservative shell and he's just not good enough at either of those to really be worth keeping so Eli I, I've we've been saying it for all season to be honest I don't assume you disagree so I, I, I think it's just as an organization the longer they try to hang on to the past the more dysfunctional things become that was very very obvious last season I don't think it's gone away this season yeah, like my, my my only issue I can see causing them to not move on would be the like who would they replace them with? So seeing kind of like the idea that like you know there might be another team or two that would contemplate changing their head coach, but given there's already eight looking for head coaches at the moment, they might be a little bit too busy. Like the typical example I'd have in my head would be, and we're going to discuss them in a second because they're in the dumpster fire. Case Keenum, would you take Case Keenum over? Yeah, because I think at least he control the ball fifty yards. Okay, fair enough. Well, uh, well, with that, we'll move on to the dumpster fire. So LA charges at Denver Broncos, twenty-three to nine. This game was fucking awful. I was watching this, and we were just we were just looking at it and just going, "Wait, what? Like we we've cut to this game three times on red zone, and each time it's still nil nil. All we've seen is interceptions so far. Like yeah. nothing is happening. Like there's turnovers, two point conversion returns. Like 
There was an interception in the end zone that the player, the safety who caught it, then tried to lateral it and gave it back to the Broncos again. This game was dog shit from both teams. Yeah. Like, what the hell was going on here? And then, yeah, like, sorry, just in general, what was going on here? Yeah, like, I don't know what's going on here. Like, the Chargers have been a bit sketchy for the last half, like, the last month or so uh, at points. They've been really good and really bad. And this was just a game where, I don't know, like, like they should have been well up early on in this game. They didn't do it. That meant they became more exposed to this. And then they, they, sh- they should have been aware that KC were up by a lot and started resting their starters in the second half, really. Because they got away with Melvin Gordon. He only picked up a slight knock. He's expected to play this week, but he could have been yeah. seriously injured. And, like, I think it's a fitting end to the Denver uh, era, the Vance Joseph era in Denver. It's just a situation where they've just been so up and down, just dysfunctional, so prone to making obvious mistakes, like missing long field goals to give the other team a chance to win uh, from early on the season, just situations like that. Bad situational football. And the Chargers in this game, I don't know, they were working, sweating out that Charger badness of making terrible decisions. And they, they got a hope that for next week, like for wildcard weekend, that they've sorted that shit out because they have far more, too much talent to waste it and make as many fuck-ups as they did here. I don't know if the if the spotlight's having an effect on them, but I, I, I really hope that they could do something here because the Chargers fan base or whatever is left of it certainly deserve to see, and Philip Rivers probably deserves to see, just a team give its best offering and not this kind of slop here. For Denver, it was just kind of more of the same. Since that brief period where they thought they might make the playoffs uh, before the injuries to Emmanuel Sanders and Chris Harris, they've just gone completely off the rails and uh, have to be serious questions about the uh, the organization as a whole but we've already kind of discussed that so uh, more the same really for them yeah no of course uh, we'll have a look then at some questions from you the listeners so our first question comes in from shane and he says who do we think were the biggest pro bowl snubs yeah so this kind of comes in obviously we had the pro bowl pro bowl hype and we will be talking about that in our extended deep dives but we'll do a couple of ones here so like the obvious one for me would be the fact that chris jones wasn't included on the list he is probably second or third in the running for like defensive player of the year at the moment has a ton of sacks ton of pressures all coming from an internal defensive lineman position and I, I think I'd take him over two of the three people who were selected for that for the AFC in that position. Yeah, like one I think is unlucky. I don't know if they're really a snub because like the other running backs in the NFC, Christian McCaffrey, I think he was a bit unlucky. He just happened to come against like Todd Gurley, second Barkley and Zeke Elliott. But Christian McCaffrey had an amazing season and certainly any other year I would expect him to get the pro all. Uh, one for the purists is... Tress Wade, or for the Mazinkus, uh, should have gotten to the Pro Bowl because he had the best statistics and averages. But my boy, Michael Dixon, gets Pro Bowl in his rookie season. So fuck you, <laughs> the five Mazungus fans on Reddit trying to tell me that Tress Wade is better than Michael Dixon. Michael Dixon's <laughs> in the Pro Bowl. He deserves to be there. And he'll kick your ass with his big Australian boot if you dare come up to him. <laughs> there's um, there's actually this one that I think shows a bit of the issue with some of the Pro Bowl voting as well. Is it... Um, so so for the AFC team for the Pro Bowl uh, Eric Fisher is there as one of the tackles but Mitch Schwartz is not now look I'll I'll defend having a Kansas City Chiefs player in the Pro Bowl any time one comes up right <laughs> but our right tackle is probably the best or at least top three in the league our left tackle is at best top 15 to top 10 i'm like, sorry i'm sorry but <laughs> brandon schwartz is the best tackle on the kansas city Chiefs. like like literally they picked the worst of our two tackles to go as the pro bowl tackle 
It's a right tackle. No one cares about right tackles, Connor. <laughs> they're not. They're not real people. They're like like fullbacks. Fullbacks have to be in the Pro Bowl, but right tackles, we don't need those. I reckon it's entirely based off the fact that he was a first-round draft pick and there's a little bit of name recognition where there's yeah. a... Yeah, no, of course. Our next one comes up is from Chris, and he said, what team that missed the playoffs has the best chance to go to the Super Bowl next year? This is an interesting one. Browns? I think, like, I would love to say the Browns, and mm. certainly if they, get, if they make the right coaching decision, I would definitely get behind that. I think the Steelers, if they sort out their Madonna stuff, should be fine, because that's just been, like, a thing that happens to them all the time. If the Jacksonville Jaguars get a good quarterback, then all bets are off with them. But I think... Like, seriously, I, I I think the Packers, they, like, outside the Browns, they have Aaron Rodgers. I expect them to get the pick of the litter in terms of the coaching staff. If they make the right coaching decision, I expect the Packers to be back in the playoffs, even in what should be a tough division still. Like, I just think Aaron Rodgers is too good not to be in the playoffs, so maybe a bit of wish casting there, but we'll see what happens. Awesome. Yeah, my one to be, I'd love it to be the Browns as well, but I'd say possibly the Atlanta Falcons if the mm. changing over some of that staff works because like they've got the quarterback they've got a good stable running back they've got a good defense if they stay healthy they've got they've got plenty of bits there they can just kind of start putting it together again like you know who we don't want to see the Titans <laughs> yeah I predicted already I don't want to see the Titans excellent excellent <laughs> and the next one comes in from Joanne and she says uh, the top quarterback prospect in the draft has said he's going to stay in college. So that was Oregon Ducks, Justin Herbert. Uh, how does this impact QB needy teams next year? Yeah. Well, it makes it more difficult. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the initial part. I think the current read on the quarterbacks available in the draft is that Dwayne Haskins is a consensus uh, first rounder. Probably because of that, we'll get picked in the top five. Uh, someone might have to trade up to get that. Uh, some of the other ones that are available, like Drew Locke, he's kind of like a late first rounder, second rounder, likely get pushed up higher just due to lack of availability. And it's kind of reopened the can of worms around Kyler Murray, who we talked about a couple of weeks ago, who is expected to go into baseball. But now lots of talk around, I don't know, just maybe just rumor, wish casting bullshit, people looking to say, oh, no, this guy, like he's the guy who replaced Baker Mayfield and was even more successful. So obviously there's lots of people wanting him to be a, an NFL quarterback, but We'll see if that comes any fruition. If he does get in now, because there's only going to be one one first rounder, maybe he'll get up. But it means that there'll be a big fight for Dwayne Haskins. Is basically what you could expect in the draft. One of the big impacts of this, and we'll probably be talking about it more in the offseason, Joanne, is that uh, it's obviously going to increase the value of some of the backups that are in the league, some of the players who are coming to the end of contracts, and even kind of mid-level potential yeah. starters. Like we say, like you know, Denver might move on from uh, from Case Keenum, but if there's not much in the way of quarterbacks in the draft, he's got a much better chance of finding a, finding a landing spot. Big, big names would be Flacco. Uh, Manning will probably could land somewhere if, yeah. if the right organizations are in there. Jaguars obviously are a consideration there. Terod Taylor maybe in a trade. Case Keenum is someone, yeah, as you say there. Like those kind of guys. Someone might, might go. In... Someone might go reclamation project on Blake Bortles. Yeah, well, I don't, that might be a bit too far. Maybe possibly, uh... but like, like, don't, like, don't, don't forget Blake Bortles this time last year was kicking the shit out of teams in the playoffs. Yeah, well. Yeah, yeah I know, I know, but look, <laughs> this is the kind of thinking. The people who don't play football in January and have a whole lot of extra time to be thinking about yeah. stuff can talk themselves into. Also, like, who's going to start for the Washington Mizungus next year? Because Alex Smith might not have a leg. Yeah, but they'll pick the most boring quarterback possible. I don't know who that is, but uh, they'll find someone incredibly boring. They will trade for Andy Dalton. Yeah. Oh, Ryan Tannehill. Oh, there is. Ryan Tannehill. There we go. Oh. Perfect. 
Yeah, Tannehill should be in that list technically, but he's just so dull. I forgot about him. Yeah, <laughs> he's good. Like I, 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 th- I think like an AFC East team should pick him up and then just play him against the Patriots because he seems to be able to play home against well, the Patriots. Home. <laughs> yeah, at home against the Patriots, like just pay him for that one game check. Okay. Actually, the AFC East just trade him around. Yeah. So with that, we'll move on and have a look at the games that are coming up next week. Just before we get into this, I suppose we'll cover off our, our regular season results. So uh, in the predictions performance, we all came pretty close, but unfortunately it didn't go all to plan. So I had 160 uh, correct predictions, which gives me a 0.625 uh, success rate, which is pretty good. You know, I'd be kept on for another year. That's about what is that? That's about 10 and 10 and 6, 9 and 7, <laughs> 9 and a half and Six and a half. Say. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So uh, like uh, 164 for Fitz, which gives him a 0.64, and our winner with 166 is Harry, who is not here to celebrate. Uh, so congratulations, Harry. Woo! Yeah, very well done. Uh, actually, that's one small thing. Someone did notice that no one finished eight and eight this year. Two teams, I think, two or three teams finished eight, seven, and one, but no one finished on the vaunted mid-tier middle score yeah. in the actual NFL this season. And in terms of the amount of news and stuff that were generated around teams, the most mentions that we had, uh, our most popular team for discussion this week uh, was Pittsburgh, who made it into 20 conversation pieces. Uh, Kansas City and Cleveland came in with 17. The least popular uh, were San Francisco and the New York Jets, who came in at three apiece, and Detroit, Tennessee, and the New York Giants, who came in at four. The unfortunate element is... Because the problem is, if if you if you have terrible games that are noteworthy, you'll get more mentions. And if you're just like a bottom-ish team who has a mediocre performance, I, I actually say to Kyle Shanahan, you should take it as a credit that you only got mentioned three times because your team was credible despite losing two quarterbacks throughout <laughs> the entire season. You still weren't so bad to get into the dumpster fire. Uh, so well done, San Francisco and the Jets. You were just so fucking boring. I just. I <laughs> Like, the only annoying thing here for Harry is probably that Tennessee aren't in the bottom. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was that was one more than we, uh, we said. Uh, we just received a text message from Harry to say, tell them I said, fuck capitalism. The reason that Harry's not here is because as he was about to leave work today, he got landed with a load of uh, work from his manager to say, uh, our, our end of your billing needs to be done, and it needs to be done now. And, of course, Harry says, well, why are you telling me this five minutes before I have to go home? And also, fuck capitalism. So, uh, hope, you're, hope you're feeling good, Harry. Hope you're Hope you're getting over it. Uh, so let's move on to these very exciting games. Uh, so first up, we have Indianapolis at Houston. And we've gone for Indianapolis across the board. This is intriguing. I'm kind of, I'm teetering. I've got Indianapolis with a question mark beside it here. But you've got them a solid one. Is this purely based off like the, the Demaris Thomas injury uh, tipping the scales? I think it's it's a I think it's a little bit of like projecting what we want than perhaps what we think will happen. I think Houston have earned the right to be considered maybe the slight points favorite here uh, in terms of betting. But I just think you look, I think we've been saying it all season, the holes that exist on the Houston team are so gargantuan and obviously losing their like only other decent wide receiver beside uh, DeAndre Hopkins only increases that. Like their secondary is a joke. Their offensive line has kind of reverted after a brief, brief, uh, 
a dalliance with mediocrity in a midseason to be yeah. terrible again. Like, but we also know they have Deshaun Watson, they have DeAndre Hopkins at the offense. Lamar Miller has been better down the stretch, and on the defense, we know that defensive line is one of the best in the league with JJ Watt, Whitney Merciless, uh, and so on. Uh, and they're just, I, I just think that it's a situation where. Andrew, like when it comes down to it, if it was a quarterback, quarterback, I think Andrew Luck is being playing out of his skin this season. And I think just Indianapolis seemed like a team that's playing above themselves, where Houston are kind of just so reliant on those few pieces. So if Indianapolis can scheme well against the obvious strengths that exist there, if they can cover DeAndre Hopkins, if they can mitigate with their new good offensive line, that defensive line, then I think Indianapolis can do this. And they did it already in the regular season. They beat Houston in in the Texans' home stadium. So uh, I think Houston have really good strengths, but I just they're too much of a flawed team for me to really feel as an AFC contender. So I think I'd rather see Indianapolis because I think at their very tippy top, they could really take on anyone in the AFC uh, title. No, chart. of course. Uh, I suppose like because I'm I'm with you on the on the Indianapolis thing to kind of make I suppose some of the case for Houston. Like they do have an incredibly explosive offense that can go off on big plays. I don't trust the Indianapolis defense all that much to be honest. Even though they're improved, like to be honest, I don't trust the best cornerbacks in the league against the likes of Nuke. So. So I'm not sure I'm necessarily going to trust this Indianapolis one against it. Also, like Houston do have a very good kind of pass rush rotation there between the three players. And Indianapolis, although they had that stretch in the middle of the season where I think it was at four and a half games without allowing a sack, like that was excellent. That has crumbled over the last couple of weeks and they've allowed loads. We've seen them get destroyed in games. We've seen them get shut out in games since then. So yeah. like this is the type of thing that if Houston come into this with their motor running and they start to get a bit of pressure on Luck. Like, Luck is an excellent passer at the moment. That's the, that's the one thing that I think it's why I'm still edging it towards Indy, that even if they get the pressure on him, I can see him being able to operate from outside of the pocket. And T.Y. Hilton's been playing at an incredible level. But like, yeah. I can see a scenario in which Houston do well. I just think that in this scenario, probably seven times out of ten, Indianapolis come away with the win. Cool. Uh, <laughs> next up, Seattle at Dallas. Now... I gotta ask you, Fitz. I gotta ask you. So I've gone Seattle, Harry's gone Seattle, and Fitz has gone Dallas. Do you actually think Dallas, or is this because you've realised that you are pick Juju? Uh, like part yes of course I'm going for the Juju it's now a bit uh, but this is this is really a coin flip game like like uh, like if you're trying to imagine a metaphor for this I would look at like those a coin and up. it's flipping in the air yeah well that's that's the obvious <laughs> low key one but I'm thinking of like you know a nature documentary with the two stags just rutting their like antlers in together and they're getting involved in just a slow war of attrition because both of these teams just play that kind of attritional football, run the ball, rely on your defense and just keep going at it. Obviously Seattle, they run on first down and second down by default. Dallas obviously have uh, Ziggy Elliott. They rely on him to basically run that D offense and keep them ahead of the chain. So the Dak Prescott isn't exposed, which he was earlier in the season. Uh, even and Amari Cooper has been good at points, but in the last three games has actually been held below 50 yards. Um, so he's a bit of a like a uh, an up and down candidate. But I think yards per catch, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> except for that one game yeah where he did really well but like I just think of the situation where both these teams have very obvious flaws where they're kind of building 
Uh, like there's a lot of young players in both of these defenses. Both offenses have obvious strengths, but they're like neither of their passing attacks would be called dynamic. They're very play action relevant. So this is kind of game where if either team can get ahead of the can get ahead, can build up a lead and force the other team to rely on their weakness, the passing game, then I think they will have a major advantage here. It's going to be old school football for the purest fans, people who remember the 70s when everything was better. Uh, well, the seven no, the 70s weren't great because of the oil crisis, but like back when. <laughs> things were real football with real men uh, I think you know it's this, 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 this is very yeah. much a Brian Baldinger orgasming on Twitter kind of event yeah. isn't it they do what they do really well we'll see who can do what they do best uh, I'll get to and, and face probably uh, uh, the uh, probably face the run like the injuries to Seattle's secondary, is that going to open up more opportunities for Dallas to air this out? Like we, we, we've seen, we've seen, like I said, Cooper get success whenever he gets even a, a yard of separation. There, there's a risk of that there, and I know that exists for Seattle as well. But just I know that Seattle have had a bit of attrition at that defensive back position. Yeah, I think that will definitely open things up. I think they're def- they're even more reliant now on Tedrick Thompson and Bradley McDowell, both who've been suffering with injury problems for the last month. We'll see if they can play at full capacity. But whenever they've been brought back into the team, they've seemed to look okay. Uh, and then they've brought a lot of Akeem King recently to kind of cover, like he covered Kelsey, for example, in the KC game, did a good job. Uh, so there's a lot of, yeah, and Shaquille Griffin may be questionable due to an injury he knocked up. He got he picked up last week. Oh, so I think yeah, it's, I it's a situation where, like, yeah, if they lose one of those guys either before the game or during the game, it could definitely have an effect and open up. But Dallas, I don't feel like the type of team that will exploit that incredibly well, but maybe just enough to grind what might be a very close game. So it's a very intriguing game, old school game, but yeah, it's kind of hard to predict who's going to win here, to be honest. No, of course. Uh, so we're all going for Seattle, but Fitz is going for Dallas, but we're all going for Seattle, uh, essentially is what we're saying. Uh, LA Chargers at Baltimore. Uh, I've gone for the Chargers, and you two have gone for Baltimore. This was a tough one for me to pick because, like, again, similar to the last one, I think this is a gay, this is one that is quite evenly matched. They play slightly well, I say slightly, very different forms of football. Um, but both are very complete teams. Both have, so like LA Chargers have that strong kind of passing game and they've got Melvin Gordon and stuff, but like, you know, they've got three good wide receivers out there. They've got Antonio Gates, who is still alive, apparently, even if he fumbles up the ball a little bit far too often at the moment. But they've also got, you know, their, 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 their Boses and Ingrams and their, 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 their pass rush and their good defensive backs. Whereas Baltimore obviously have the top defense in the league at the moment outside of the Bears, perhaps. And they've got their bizarre, we're averaging 280-something yards on the ground, which... I'll be honest, is actually a weakness on this Chargers defense. They're not great against the run, which actually we saw happen two weeks ago in their match against Baltimore. Yeah. It's it's a tough one to pick, but just this Chargers team, a lot of times whenever you hear people going into the playoffs, a lot of the chat is about the difference between like a regular game and a playoff game is that you have to be able to hit that extra gear above where you were. I think the Baltimore defense has that ability. I don't think their offense does, in that I think they can probably put in that very good level of, of 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 running yards but they're just going to they're going to force him to have to throw the ball if they can get up by a score and a half two scores and force him to throw the ball the baltimore's plan collapses when that happens and i could just even just something as stupid as like a simple special teams play can rupture that whereas the la chargers i think have the ability to if they go down to come back i don't see baltimore having the same resilience yeah like it it, it it's kind of a funny game where one of the key 
people in the game is likely to be the Chargers defensive coordinator, Gus Bradley. He got a preview of what this Baltimore team does on offense a few weeks ago and came up wanting. Maybe he maybe he was saving some of his best tricks, but he needs to come in now and adapt his scheme, which is kind of from the Seattle house, and make it stop the run first. Do not, like, they rely a lot on pulling guards. They do a lot of fancy stuff on their offensive line to create those lanes for Lamar Jackson and the running backs. They just need to sell out for the run and rely on the fact that in one-on-one man coverage, Lamar Jackson does not have the accuracy to beat them, and they don't have the wide receivers, really, to beat the defensive backs that the Chargers have. Like, you know, John Brown, Michael Crabtree. Like, Michael Crabtree right now is best known for getting offensive pass interference than actually catching the ball. So, (laughs) like, and obviously keep an eye on those tight ends, which is where Lamar Jackson defaults to very, very regularly when he does have to pass. I think it's just a situation where the Chargers, like, like, it's kind of a situation where the best thing about the Baltimore Ravens we talk is that they now have a definite identity that they got ever since Joe Flacco was dropped. They now have an identity of how they play the game, uh, run on offense, aggressive on defense when they need to be, but you know, disguise the coverages, keep the other quarterback guessing. Philip Rivers needs to step up, show his veteran quality, and be able to outthink uh, Don Martindale on the opposite side. See if he can do that. He couldn't do it last time. Can he do it this time? And hopefully undo some of the inconsistency, which is just kind of around the Chargers organization for so long. I think based on Based on like what they've done this season, the Chargers at their best have been way better than the Ravens, even at their best down this backstretch. But the momentum right now is with Baltimore. That's what I'm feeling right now. The Chargers, just given their history, just given how they played for the last month, it feels like a trap game. And it feels like they're going to go into Baltimore and get handled and bullied. And then even though Baltimore won't get a ton of points ahead of them, they'll do enough to win out in the end, just like they did against Cleveland this week. Like I just, I want the Chargers to win. I would love to see Philip Rivers get that uh, thing, especially having to with the organization in flux at the moment. But I just feel like Baltimore, our team right now with John Harbaugh, uh, that the coaching there is just such at a higher level that they will do enough to mitigate the effect of Philip Rivers and perhaps the slightly better talented players on that Chargers team. Can you imagine if? Can you imagine if they just came out now and like? You know, you're just about to just about to run out the first snap. Uh, say the Chargers just had their first run on offense, held them to a field goal, and then uh, Baltimore come out onto the field, and all of a sudden, they're like, oh my God, that's Joe Flacco running out there, and they just <laughs> completely fuck them and just swap it around so that the guys have changed their entire defensive scheme. That, that's not Joe Flacco. That's playoff Joe Flacco. Oh my God! <laughs> exactly. He's leet. <laughs> That'd be incredible. And finally, we have. Philadelphia at Chicago. We've gone for Chicago across the board. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's hard to see past the Chicago team at the moment. They are playing incredible defense. Their offense is exciting, if a little bit, you know, all over the shop uh, and a complete, like, random number it's, generator. It's, it's, it's kind of like a, a, it's like a seven, a nine, eight, and eight offense, let's be honest. Yeah. You know, they've got, like, they've, they're, if they're able to establish a running game and stuff, it takes a bit of the pressure off Trubisky and they can have the success they want. But Philadelphia, just from a story perspective, it's kind of like, it'd be the most... So so one of the things coming into this game is that uh, Nick Foles had a rib injury during uh, the game last week and their third stringer came in instead. So Foles has now confirmed that it was a bruise rather than a break and he should be available for the game. Although it is a slightly shorter week, I think, of recovery for him. I think they've only got like five days to decide whether he'll be the starter or not. Uh, what's the name of their third stringer again? Nate Sudfeld. 
Nate Sudfeld. Nate Sudfeld played extremely well when he came in last week into the game. <laughs> and I think it would be the most incredible, like, Philly thing to do now to now this year after last year winning it with the backup quarterback to now go in this year and win it with the backup to the backup and to go all the way with him yeah like I, I think the Bears defense they like the, the they've got more interceptions and they allowed touchdowns this year they've just been on the ball even with a couple of injuries down the stretch they've just smothered teams including the unfortunate Minnesota Vikings last week and Kirk Cousins goodbye uh Welcome to three years of Kirk Cousins' purgatory in Minnesota. But, like, I just think on paper, the Chicago offense has been questionable, but they should do enough. Uh, like, I think the Philly defense, the defensive line has really stepped up. Michael Bennett, Fletcher Cox, they've started to get pressure consistently, and then they've dropped everyone else into coverage, and it's kind of worked for them, but it's still a very weak secondary that can be exposed. I think particularly with the kind of trick plays with Tariq Cohen uh, and players like they have all those like small guys, basically, Anthony Miller, Tariq Cohen, etc., uh, and, and Taylor Gabriel, that all kind of do similar things. I think this is a game where I think Matt Nagy, who's done an amazing job, can scheme in Allen Robinson, hopefully get a big game from him against, like, you know, the, the, the they don't really have a top, like, yeah. a corner. And I just think the only reason, really, to pick Philly is because of the story, as you say. Like, whether it's Nate Sudfeld's amazing, like, third string, like, winning, or Big Dick Nick, obviously, coming in and proving his, you know, playoff eliteness, like, the vaunted one in Philadelphia. But I think, on paper, taking everything into account... Like the Chicago offense certainly could falter and get throw interceptions or, or like when he's when when Trubisky's under pressure and let Philly stay in here. But I just think that defense has shown itself again and again that unless you have the best offense in the league, which I don't think Big Nick Nick can do by himself, I don't think there's enough there to really take Philadelphia as being uh, like serious as having a good chance. I think obviously everyone has a chance at this point of the season, but I think Chicago should win this, especially at Soldier Field, and uh, I think. For the fan base, they can probably do it right now. I think like what my my Nagy's done is just been really good, and it'd be great to see him kind of continue that success. Because I think Philly, they can't do it again. Surely, come on. Yeah, that... I, I must say actually, it's it's worked out very well. Like these, this is a, this is a nice slate of playoff games. Like there's some stinkers previously. This is like everyone in here. Like we're saying, even they're the ones where we're saying we're all in agreement. Like we could totally see situations where Houston beat Indianapolis. We could totally see situations where Philly beat Chicago. Just the Philly and Chicago one is probably the most imbalanced. And even at that, yeah, you know, you could, they, you could they, see they, it. <laughs> yeah, like, like we've seen that Chicago yeah. offense yeah. sputter. Like, like you know, no one has backed into the off into the play into the playoffs this year. I think that makes a huge difference, particularly for Wild Card Weekend. Yeah, like there's no in like there's no injured quarterback. Uh, well, you know, Big Nick Nick accepted, but. Yeah. Uh, they, all these teams are on paper more or less at their strongest. They've all had decent to like excellent run-ins. Obviously, there's stories here like both like Indianapolis, Houston, Seattle, Dallas all had poor Philadelphia all had poor start. Baltimore as well all had poor starts yeah. of the season, but are all on their best form right now. I think you're right. This is going to be it's really exciting to see all these teams form versus class versus total season performance and seeing who comes out of this and I think when they get to next week there's certainly no one who got a buy that you're like oh these guys are going to dominate next week either whoever gets through this is is going to be a realistic shot against those uh, buy teams next week as well so yeah, there's even more good football to look forward to hopefully yeah no it'll be it'll be exciting it's also it's, it's, it's nice to be able to sit back and enjoy uh Playoffs, knowing that I'm not going to go out in the uh, in the wild card round. Right? Can't but, get uh, knocked out in the wild card if you're not in the wild card. That's it. <laughs> that's the problem is that backfired the year we went two and uh, two and fourteen. Uh, Actually, you should 
You should probably have picked Houston just to avoid having the Colts as a potential matchup. No, because I kind of like the Colts as a matchup, to be honest. You want revenge, uh, do you? Well, the thing is, I, I, I think I'd rather the Colts than either the Chargers or the Ravens. Revenge. Revenge. <laughs> like, I think it'd be good. Also, like, the thing is, like, the the, the big thing with, with the Colts is that, like, look when he is pressured isn't doing fantastically and their line hasn't been fantastic and while our TVs can't cover for shit we are excellent at getting pressure at the moment Justin Houston has been playing like a player who's semi like you're seeing plays in games now where he's justifying like being paid and you're like oh if only he could be consistent and actually do that in all the games rather than like just enough each year <laughs> um but no should be should be good fun uh, one to keep an eye out just for any Chiefs fans out there is to Keep your eyes peeled on reports about Eric Berry's availability uh, during the week because he did not play last week, or at least he played a significantly lower amount of snaps. And they said that he was carrying a heel injury, which was on the heel that was injured beforehand. But that could also just be a keeping him rested up and out of a Raiders game, which should have and was very easily in hand. So we'll see. But yes, so I suppose that'll wrap us up for this week. Looking forward to these games and then the more games to come where we will see some good football happening any crack with yourself for the rest of the week yeah i'll be watching some soccer watching some sport catching up with people that i haven't seen in a couple of weeks uh after the cabin exodus but uh other than that back to work on monday and uh back to the grind it's all about that grind you know oh yeah yeah i am uh (laughs) i'm heading back into work on friday just to get a jump on if there's any emails that have come in or anything's exploded over the christmas period and uh Yeah. Have you even checked your email? Or are you allowed to check your email outside of work? I well, know. I didn't take my laptop, so I can't log in from here. So okay. no. Uh, <laughs> I just I, I walked out that door. I said a out of office that said, I'll see you in two weeks. And then I'm going to come in a day before the, the two weeks is up. <laughs> I just be like, please don't have anything exploded. Please. Cool, cool guys don't look at explosions, but they yeah, make sure it. they're the first to check the evidence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we'll see how that goes. Um, and then I think Harry is just going to uh, continue planning to overthrow the capitalist system because he's now starting to feel the brunt of it. Uh, and he is not happy. Loads more messages in from him about how the system is destroying us all. <laughs> For capitalism, I suppose, is his message rather than goodbye. He'll uh, be back next week because then the New England Patriots are about to play again. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Who do you think... The New England. So say say Indianapolis win that game, that means that the Chiefs are playing them. Who would New England rather face between the Chargers and Baltimore? Chargers. I think so, because I think they're terrified of Baltimore. Yeah, Baltimore and New England have a long and storied history in the playoffs, and it hasn't mm-hmm. always been good for New England. It hasn't always been bad, but it hasn't always been good. Yeah, just the way they're set up at the moment, like just to run down the throat, and like that, that oh, the New England defense is slow. I think, I think New England, with the loss of Josh Gordon, are gonna be just gone yeah. i think i think i, I not not Wait, to anyway, it, but we could save this for next week connor we'll save it for next <laughs> week but look there's there's our little teaser for next week i think the new england are gonna lose next uh, week there'll be more football yes yes yeah. we can only say that for like three more weeks yeah. and there's uh, one more week one week closer to the pro bowl of course as well yeah of course uh pro bowl hype so we'll uh so for now that's bye for myself bye from harry for capitalism and bye from ronan bye <laughs> chat to you next week it's been all more gorgeous. Thank